Gresham College presents The Multidisciplinary Nature of Creativity by Professor Dimitrios A. Sotiropoulos of the University of Texas. Mr. Wigglesworth, Ms. Anderson, uh, thank you very much for the uh, invitation that you extended to me to uh, give a lecture here at Gresham College. It is indeed a distinct honor and pleasure to be here uh, in this college that has such a noble uh, uh, goal and noble function, which is uh, more so, I would say, than, than the places where I have had the honor to serve in, in, my, in my career in, in different diverse universities. And, um, and uh, as I will mention in a second, it is a double honor for me to be here because Robert Hooke uh, was a professor here at Gresham College, and because of my own uh, specialty, which is uh, in mechanics, and he's considered to be the father of mechanics, uh, I feel very touched being here and being able to talk in front of you tonight. And the title of my talk, as was mentioned by Mr. Wigglesworth, is The Multidisciplinary Nature of Creativity. However, uh, this being such such a, such a wide, such a wide uh, concept uh, in this title. I'd like to focus a little, little more in this lecture tonight, and hopefully maybe in the future, uh, if I am in town, maybe uh, I'll be able to, to expand some more on, and, and give some more lectures on this, on this title. But tonight I'd like to focus a little more on, on the... Um, many disciplines involved and, 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 and the role that, that there is uh, interplaying between science, applied sciences and technology and art. Uh, and um, as I mentioned before, uh, one cannot speak of uh, applied sciences, technology and art uh, without mentioning Robert Hooke, who, who, who has special connection with this with this uh, college, Cresham College. And as I said before, he's considered indeed to be the father of mechanics amongst many other things, such as philosophy, architecture, as you well know. Uh, I was just finding out many things that I didn't know from Mr. Wigglesworth on the contributions he made after the fire in London and so on. And uh, some people call him the Leonardo da Vinci of England. Um, Maybe Leonardo da Vinci was the Robert Hooke of Italy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, it is imagination and the combined application of variable resources that make science, technology, and art thrive. Uh, as John Dewey said, every great advance in science has issued from a new uh, audacity of imagination. And um, as eloquently stated by Ralph Waldo Emerson, from its first to its last works, art is the spirit's voluntary use and combination of things to serve its end. What I'd like to, to show you in this slide is the uh, it's a chronology of inventions, and I plotted this histogram using the uh, data information provided 
in Asimov's book of uh, science and discovery. So what I did is, on the vertical axis, um, I have uh, plotted the number of inventions, and on the horizontal axis, what I did is, I accumulated them every 200 years. So it shows the number of inventions every 200 years. You can see that the first peak, which, which uh, I painted here with, uh, supposedly it's gold, is <laughs> the golden age of Pericles. See, there's a peak there, the number of technological scientific inventions during the golden age of Pericles in ancient Athens. And uh, the second peak appears around uh, 16th, 17th century during the uh, scientific revolution. You can see that during the 19th and 20th century, the last two centuries, the number, uh, if you add up the number of inventions in science and technology, is about 1,000. And they are more than the number of inventions ever before in the human history. So the question is, can we conclude something from here, what would happen in the century we are now, in the 21st century? What can we expect about the number of inventions that we would, uh, would come in front of us? Well, that, that would not be an easy thing to, to, to forecast. However, the trend in the last thousand years, the upward trend, as well as the number of inventions in the last two centuries uh, and the progress that we see on an everyday basis uh, makes one to conclude that, that indeed we, we are, in our lifetime, we will see many, many more things, and many more inventions and, and discoveries. They made a um, time, uh, time Magazine uh, made a poll, and they asked uh, scientists uh, and technologists worldwide to vote on the uh, on which they consider the most important discovery in the human history. And they uh, can you guess which one was voted number one? Well, the computer. <laughs> okay, and um, well. That enables us now to use web and communications and so on, and I'll mention this in a little bit, a, a little more as well. So uh, starting on the historical uh, point of view, in terms of art and technology, uh, the physical means in terms of the uh, physical resources used in art making is very, very critical. Uh, from 7,000, 8,000 BC, uh, People were carving uh, uh, the shapes of animals and, and human beings on, on stones. Uh, and of course, uh, the technological and, and engineering techniques and scientific knowledge that was used and tools to, to create the pyramids. And uh, I like to make a, a little... Uh, little stop here in, uh, in ancient Greece and, and refer to, to the ancient tragedy of Medea, which was, which was written by Euripides, as you all know. 
in, in which tragedy there is a scene when it is performed in, in the theater where Jason, who was the husband of, of Medea, uh, is trying to touch the bodies of his dead children because, uh, as you all know, Medea, uh, his wife, killed their children. She killed their children because he ran away with another woman and he didn't want to be with her anymore. So to, she took revenge by killing their children. So in the play, Jason is trying to touch the dead bodies of their children. Okay. Um, when it is performed in modern day theater, Jason bends down on the stage floor while Medea is standing up. And the reason they do that is to try to recreate the scene from ancient, from the ancient performances where Medea was up in a chariot together with the, with the, with the, with the three dead bodies of the children, whereas Jason was standing on the, on the, on the stage. And, and then this chariot would be pulled over the theater stage, over the building of the theater, by, by an invention of that time, which was called machine. Okay? And let me show you that here. Okay? So for the first time in ancient Greece was shown this uh, device that was <coughs> called machine. In ancient Greek was called mechani, or, or we might say mechani. It was 42 feet long, and it, would, it, would, uh, it could carry a weight over the theater stage of up to one ton. So even by today's standards, it was a very, very big crane. And mechani is the first, mechani are the first letters of the word mechanical, okay? In fact, mechani, mechani in ancient Greek, meant the political manipulations of the gods. Because this device was able to go against the will of the gods and be able to carry things over in the air, far and above, heavy things and so on, that only the gods could do that. So man was able to manipulate the gods through this device called mechani. So as I said, mechanical, mechani, the first few letters of the word mechanical. So when we say mechanical engineering, it's actually two words that mean the same thing, because in Latin, as you know, engineer means ingenious. So mechanical engineering is two times saying the same thing. And as I mentioned before, uh, along with Robert Hooke, Leonardo da Vinci uh, is, is a man that cannot be uh, left out when we speak of the multidisciplinary nature of creativity. Uh, it's perhaps uh, considered by, by a lot of experts the, the biggest genius of, of all times. And um, as, as you all know, uh, he was a scientist, an engineer, uh, his discoveries uh, had to do with flying, helicopters, uh, submarines, boats, anything you can think of. And, and, um, and his drawings on, on uh, 
human body and the anatomy and, and uh, the engineering of the human body, um, proportionality and realism, and, the, and in his works, the combination of, of, of aesthetics, of, of art, of, of engineering, of science, of mathematics, all, all come into, into producing these um, indescribable pieces of work. He's, uh, even as a painter, uh, here, for example, shown the, the Last Supper, and uh, there is this, uh, when we look at his works and his paintings, uh, there is this uh, combination of beauty, balance, and harmony that, that uh, bring the viewing to an optimal effect. And uh, in a way that shows how science facilitates art conceptually. Uh, the mathematics used in, in sculptures, in paintings, uh, the use of geometrical shapes, lines, triangles, uh, so forth, the algebraic and, and geometric formula, uh, the most, probably the most well-known, the golden mean, uh, which is the principle of dynamic symmetry, a principle that is found in numerous works of art, as, for example, the Parthenon, uh, still standing in, in Athens. And uh, just to remind you that this uh, golden mean ratio, uh, which is that if you have a segment of a line uh, and you divide it into two parts, then the division, if you make it at a certain point, such as the, the ratio of the whole line to one of the segments, uh, biggest segment is the same as the ratio of the biggest segment to the smaller segment, if you, do, if you divide it in just there and nowhere else, then it is the most aesthetically pleasing division that one, one can perform. And this is something that, um, that was used in ancient times and it was realized by, human, by, by, by the human brain uh, because of the observations that they made empirically on, on, uh, on nature. You can, you can find this golden mean in nature as well. You can see up in mountains, in slopes, uh, that nature tends to, to divide things in this harmonic and, and beautiful way. Uh, even, even lightning becomes beautiful. The division, the fractals, the lines are divided in such a way that this golden ratio is, is followed in nature. So as I mentioned before, science and technology, in fact, enables art in, in many different ways. And one is a con conceptual way that I, I just try to brush on for a couple of seconds. And also in, in physical, physical terms, in other words, by the use of, of uh, engineering uh, and material resources. And here, uh, an example is shown, the La Pieta Michelangelo's uh, a sculpture, and the use of all these engineering tools and, and materials uh, in order to be able to um, to sculpture. And 
the use of different oils, synthetics, waxes, uh, woods, coppers, glasses, plasters, varnishes, and so forth, uh, to be able to, to make paintings such as the Delphic Sibyl of Michelangelo's in the Sistine Chapel. And uh, here is also shown uh, the Sistine Chapel as a whole, uh, the, the ceiling, where, where again, the human uh, endurance and, and, and will is shown here uh, using uh, sort of primitive engineering ladders, uh, tools, but being upside down trying to paint the ceiling. Nowadays we can do that with using more fancy, sophisticated uh, engineering equipment. But what is interesting is, sometimes, even though there are all these advancements in, in technology, we go out in space, we discover planets, and, and we, we land on the moon, and, and all these great uh, technological achievements, when, when it comes down to some simple things in life on an everyday basis, we still tend to be very primitive, and, and we use, we use uh, things that, that are more primitive uh, than two, three thousand years ago people used to use. For example, as I mentioned, one example I mentioned before was the performance of, of the ancient tragedy, tragedy Medea, or Euripides Medea. Even nowadays when you see it performed in the theater, they, they don't use any, any mechanical devices to, to lift up in the air things. They do that very rarely. That to me is very interesting. Whereas we have all these, all these um, sophisticated uh, uh, equipments at our, at, our, at our disposal, we, do, we don't really take advantage in a good sense. Take advantage of that. Same thing with, with paintings. Um, some very good friends of mine are painters themselves. Uh, one of them painted uh, this Greek church in Holland recently, and they are still using very primitive ladders and things like that. So uh, that's a pity in a way. And in fact, is not is not. Uh, I don't think we we must blame the the artists uh, not using the engineers' uh, discoveries or, or equipment or blame the engineers or not giving the artists to use this. I, th I think we need to blame the educators, educators such as myself. Because we, we don't do a good job in, um, when we educate people so that we can have a multidisciplinary approach to, to looking at things and, and, um, and uh, uh, to, to approach things on, an, on, a, on our everyday lives. So, uh, now, besides the conceptual and the physical means, uh, technology also facilitates communicating art uh, and bringing it closer to, to the people. Uh, for example, printing and, and, the, and the internet. Huh? Uh, Johann, Johannes uh, Gutenberg was voted the man of the millennium because of his discovery of the, of the uh, repeated printing, which, which um, 
makes it possible for us to, to read books today. And um, so it, this is an example again where uh, technology communicates information, art. Uh, it's very simple today to go to a bookstore and buy a, buy a book on, on art and see all these paintings, uh, this and that. And of course, the discovery of, of the internet is communicates art on, on the push of a button. We can be at home and, 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 and visit museums and look at sculptures and paintings all over the whole world. So uh, what, a wonderful, uh, what a wonderful interplay between technology and art. Uh, now, how technology also facilitates art. Uh, it does it in many, many different ways. One example here shows uh, uh, xylography, as you know, uh, uh, printing on wood and so forth. And here shows the map of Venice by Jacobo de Barbari. Um, As I mentioned, serving art is, is very, very critical uh, via technology. And we cannot forget the restoration, preservation, and evaluation that are, uh, that are being achieved uh, via uh, technological and scientific means. Here is the uh, creation of Adam in the Sistine Chapel by Michelangelo. Uh, I'm showing two, two pictures. One is before restoration and the other is after restoration. And we can see how important is the use of chemical solutions and, and scientific techniques to restoring pieces of art, paintings. And preservation. Preservation is very, very, uh, very, very important for art and for human history and humankind. Uh, nowadays, there are many sophisticated techniques to, to preserving art pieces and paintings. For example, uh, ultrasonic misting, which uh, you use ultrasound to, to put upon paintings, uh, dilute solutions in order to consolidate pigments or thin layers. And um, the use of ultrasound, uh, I like to mention this a lot because in my own specialty, uh, I deal with acoustics and the use of sound and uh, in diff many different different ways. Now, one cannot, cannot mention acoustics without, or sound without mentioning Sir Walter Rayleigh, who is the father of acoustics. And, um, and here, uh, what I'd like to show you next is the wheel of acoustics, um, which is a way of describing uh, how acoustics the multidisciplinary nature of acoustics. And uh, you can see that this, this wheel here is divided into basically four, four sections. Uh, earth sciences, engineering and technology, arts, and life sciences. Huh? And physical acoustics, mechanical waves and phonons is right in the middle, sound in other words. And you can see that any field you can think of has to do with acoustics, really. I mean, paintings, I was just mentioning to you preservation, you can use in, in art objects. Visual arts, uh, architectural acoustics, um, 
physiology, medicine, bioacoustics. Uh, you use ultrasound when you're pregnant to see if you're well or, or you can see whether it's going to be a boy or a girl. Or we use now ultrasound for heart, uh, scanning our heart or, or other things. And so, um, so, so if, if, if this type of diagram we were able to draw for each one of what, what we think is our own discipline, then, then, that we, then we will be able to, to put all this together and see how we relate with one another. And, and that can serve really as a guide to, 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 to the way we should approach education uh, and, and the methods of educating people. And um, of course, ultrasound is one of the ways we evaluate paintings uh, and to be able to detect and characterize subsurface cracks, deterioration and so forth in paintings, in sculptures and so on. But there are other ways that, scientific ways we use to evaluate paintings. Here is an example, the bullfight by Edouard Manet. Okay, and this is the dead torado by Edouard Manet. And people use the X-radiographs to show that the dead torado came from the same piece of canvas that the bullfight came from. And in fact, to prove that the two <coughs> paintings were one painting at, at one time before, and which was called the incident at the bullfight, which Manet cut in two pieces after he was being criticized by critics of art when he displayed his original painting. So here is an example where, again, as science and technology enables us to extract information that otherwise would have been completely impossible to do. What I would like to show you next is a description of the 20th century technologies and the 21st century technologies as well. And 20, the 20th century technologies can be described with three Fs, full, fast, and far. And the main, uh, the main inventions of the 20th century were in electronics, energy, and transportation which in fact are being described by th these three words. For example, transportation okay, is a means of carrying um, far and very fast a full load of people. For example, the airplane or the train are the big discoveries. The 21st century technologies can be described by three S's. Self, small, and smart. By self, meaning that we will pay more attention to our health and, and, and the environment, to ourselves, okay? Health, medicine, biology, and the environment all will play a central role in our lives in the 21st uh, century. Uh, many call the 21st century the century of the gene or the biotech century. And we already are being seeing colossal changes uh, on an everyday basis because of the use of biotechnology in food, in the food industry, or, or in medicine, even in medicine. 
the green machine technology be, will become very, very important. If the ozone layer dis is destroyed over the Earth, then we won't be able to have any 21st century, to, to finish the 21st century at all. So uh, green machine technology will play a very important role. An example is the living machine. In Henderson, Nevada, uh, they have been able to, uh, to mimic the natural environment okay, uh, using the green machine uh, technology. Another uh, key description of 21st century technology is the word small. Okay, from nanotechnology to energy-saving technologies. Everything is becoming very, very small. Small chips in the computers, small chips being used inside human bodies to be able to detect diseases and so forth, to dilute pills inside with it using a time concept and so on. And finally, everything will be very smart, very intelligent. Mechatronics. That's, a, that's a, a mechanical, uh, a mechanical intelligence system. Mechanical and electronics together makes the word mechatronics. Mecha from mechanical and electronics, tronics so makes mechatronics. And and the use of mechatronic systems, uh, like the use of robotics in in surgery and distance surgery, surgery, being able to perform uh, surgeries uh, via television by using uh, robots and pushing buttons. So you have a a doctor in London performing surgery in a village in, in Scotland, for example. Um, and the, the use of communications and, and um, information technologies. Well, uh, we are right, right now, uh, through the web, many people are, being able, uh, are able to, to, to join us uh, here. And uh, materials, that's something we, we cannot we cannot forget. Uh, as we all know, uh, the use of materials in civilization is what labels civilization and the history. Uh, the, the Stone Age, the Bronze Age, the Iron Age, and we now live on the boundary between the Iron Age and the New Materials Age. Uh, now materials are becoming lighter, stronger, longer lasting. We have the biologic materials that imitate uh, that imitate the, the biologically involved materials. We have the, the adaptive materials that respond to their service environment. And so we are now in the new materials age. So uh, this uh, uh, 21st century technologies and as you see, they are all uh, interdisciplinary and multidisciplinary in nature. And uh, as I mentioned before, we as academicians, we have to, to, um, to use this approach in order to, uh, to be able, in order to be able, not just to educate people, but in order to be able to face, to face these times, to face reality now. And so we cannot run away from having interdisciplinary and at the same time interdepartmental and at the same time interprofessional type of academic programs. So the question is, has our time come for this? Well, if, if I may mention here a short story to answer this question. I was, uh, because of the jet lag, I asked the front desk to, to give me a call. It's time to wake up and 
And so uh, the phone rings, I was still <laughs> so tired and picked it up and somebody on the other line said, Sir, your time has come. <laughs> so I, I was uh, sort of startled you know, in my sleep. Is that God or who? <laughs> I was so scared. But uh, to come back to the point is, indeed our time has come. Our time has come to, to apply this, this approach to education. And, uh, and we must uh, give our congratulations to Gresham College because they are applying this approach and multidisciplinary approach, inviting uh, uh, lecturers and people from different diverse areas. And this past summer there was, of course, here organized Robert Hooks uh, on uh, celebrating Robert Hooks' 300th or so birthday uh, was organized this multidisciplinary uh, conference on different areas. Uh, of course, these concepts, these uh, examples that I mentioned today are not anything new. Okay? These are very old concepts. They were used in ancient times in the scientific revolution. Francis Bacon wrote that histories make men wise, poets witty, the mathematics subtle, natural philosophy deep, morale grave, logic and rhetoric able to contend. Thank you very much. For all information, please go to our website at www.gresham.ac.uk.